that this evening. Just reach out and touch the Lord. As he passes by your way this evening, we trust something, something to be said that encourages you. Let us just go to him in prayer. Father, what a great honor and a great privilege, Lord, you've afforded us to be in your presence tonight. Father, we thank you for the grace of God. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. They endure forever, Father. Even at this very present time, Lord, a time of darkness upon the world as we would know it. But, Father, there is mercy that's been extended to the bride. And, Lord, we're so thankful tonight to be recipients of that mercy and of that grace. Lord, to be loved by the Father and to not only be loved but to love the Father as well. So we're just asking, Father, tonight that you would come by once again and speak to us. Father, you know our hearts. You know the things that we deal with, the frustrations that we, we go through. But, Lord, we're just going to set those things aside tonight and invite you, Lord, to come and just minister to our hearts. You see the young, the old, the middle-aged, all that are here, Lord. I pray that you'll just be able to speak something that would minister to every heart that's in this building tonight and those that are on the stream. So, Lord, we just commit our lives to you, and we just ask tonight, Father, you'll anoint this service. Anoint not only the speaking of the word, but also the receiving. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look here in 2 Corinthians 4. And we'll start here at verse 7. And I want to speak to you. I want to pick back up on God does impossible math. As you're turning there, God does impossible math. This will be part 5. Um, impossible math. Part five, and I want to give it a subtitle tonight. It's not the end of the story. I was beginning to study this uh, about a week and a half ago, getting prepared actually for a youth service, and the Lord just kind of changed my entire thought for this service tonight. But using this, it's not the end of the story. And my daughter Lauren slipped into my study, and I had it up on my computer. She goes, What are you preaching on? She goes, I don't know, but I like the title. I said, well, good, so we'll just trust. So if nobody else pulls tonight, Lauren, I'm expecting you to pull. Wherever you are, I don't even see you, but she's so short. I, oh, there she is. She's her father's daughter, right? 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's what we want tonight, the excellency to be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with him. For all things are not for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, 
which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You can be seated tonight. As I said, we're going to speak to you. And it's not the end of the story. You know, and just kind of looking back, and not that I'm an idiot by any step of the imagination, but I just kind of looked up the word story because I want to make sure I knew what story meant because we, we can get several opinions of what a story is. If I was to ask you tonight, what's the definition? But the definition of story is an account of incidents or events. An account, <clears throat> excuse me, of incidents or events. And we know there's true love stories. There's fiction stories. There's nonfiction stories. There's animated stories. There's all kind of stories uh, that we know about. But tonight I want to bring it down personal to you. Because we know that there's times in our lives that maybe our story didn't have such a great, a great chapter in it. Maybe there was times it wasn't so glamorous. Maybe there was times in your life where you wished you could forget that portion. If you could just erase that chapter, erase that portion of that story and never think about it again. There was days when you didn't walk with the Lord and yet you are today because of that walk or that lack of that walk. Now you're reaping the repercussions of that. And you wish that maybe you didn't, or you wish that you could do it all over again. And there's sad times in our story. Maybe you lost a loved one, and now you're left trying to figure out how to navigate life alone because the spouse that you've been married to for many years is no longer there. And yet your story is filled with emotions, and maybe it's filled with anxieties. Maybe it's filled with a lot of stress. And then there's exciting times. Then there's doors that are opening, and Things that are happening for you and you're flourishing and prospering and you got wonderful memories and you're cherishing all those. And all these events make up your story. But I don't want you to focus on all the events that are making up your story. Tonight, I want to focus on how does your story end? We all have a story here tonight. And some of you, you've made the right choices. Others, you're on the path to make the right choices. Others, you've not made that choice yet. But I'm asking you to focus tonight on how does your story end? And we look here in Romans 8, and the Bible would tell us in verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God or against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then, they that are of the flesh cannot please God. So when you get into the flesh, you're not pleasing God. And that's why we find this here in Romans 12, when we skip over to Romans 12 and verse 1. The Bible would tell us, I beseech you, excuse me, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And notice verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Now, the Bible would tell us in chapter 8 that to be carnally minded is death. That's why Paul would tell us in chapter 12, you've got to have your mind renewed today. And if there was ever a time in a generation and a people is to, to be having their minds renewed, it's now. There's so much pulling against you. There's so much coming at you that now is the time, young people, that you got to have your minds renewed. Renewed by the Word of God. Renewed by the Holy Ghost. Renewed by the baptism of fire in this hour. So we find here to be currently minded is enmity against God. Therefore, we must have our minds renewed. The best Christian here tonight... And don't raise your hand thinking you're that one. But the best Christian here tonight, the most pious, when you feel like your life just toes the line, the Bible would tell us that you were shapen in iniquity. And in sin did your mother conceive you. So you were born in sin. You were shaped in iniquity. You came to this world needing your mind, your thoughts, your life renewed by the word of God. We find here in Genesis 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof thou shalt surely die. So notice, man can eat of all the trees of the garden, but the one in the midst of the garden, don't touch it, don't look at it, don't partake of it, or you're going to die. Then we find in Genesis 3 and verse 1, now the serpent, he was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, notice now, he begins to talk to the woman, not the man. He says, yea, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the gardens. Or the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So she was saying what Adam had said. She was speaking of her, her, her earthly husband, his commandment, his word. He knew that he spoke expressly with God, and God told him, if you eat thereof, you're going to die. So she's having this conversation with the enemy or with the serpent. And if she would have left off right here and no longer entertained him and walked away from the conversation and went back to her husband and began to confess, oh, I had a conversation with him. This is what he said and let her husband deal with it. It would have been a different story, but we find she continued to entertain and she continued to welcome the conversation because the devil always makes it appealing to the natural. He always makes it appealing to the senses of the flesh. And we find here the serpent begin to speak back to her. You shall not surely die. How many of you have ever been tempted and you stood on the word of God, but then the enemy come right back and said, that's not going to happen. Not for you. Look at you. You're a good Christian. You got the Holy Ghost only to fall. Only to be tempted as some of you young boys claiming you got the Holy Ghost and yet you, you find yourself slipping up and looking at things you shouldn't look at. And we find you want that, but you're constantly entertaining the lie of the enemy. He's putting this beautiful model in front of you, but that's not beauty. That's death. Because if you partake of that tree, there's nothing left but a death sentence that's on you. 
So the enemy would say, for God knoweth that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Notice he began to reason with her. And he reasons with all of us. His tactics have not changed. That's why we have to have our minds renewed by the word of God. Our thinking must be this word, this word, this word, this word, this word. Anytime Satan presents you a, a, a proposition, you take them back to this word. Because heavens and earth will pass away. Excuse me, but this word will never pass away. So we find here, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, that she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. So we find the best Christian here tonight, your origin starts right here. Amen. That birth where you were shaped in iniquity and came to the world, conceived in sin, starts right here. Amen. There's not one of us here tonight that bypass this birth. Amen. And we look at this scene here, and it's an awful scene. And, you know, God's original plan was for man to come by the spoken word. But Eve listened, and she entertained the lie of the devil. And she gave it, she regarded it above her husband's own word. And because she partook of the devil's lie, and she laid with the enemy, and she gave also to Adam, and he partook of it, what did it do? It thrust the human race into sin. It thrust the human race into slavery. It thrust the human race into bondage. And now every one of us tonight, we bypass our theophanies and we come into this world a sinner. We come shaped in iniquity. We come in sin. Otherwise, we were born with a death sentence. We were born with a death sentence and the only way to escape the death sentence is to partake of the tree of life. The only way to escape the sin's penalty is to partake of the tree of life. And the prophet of God will tell us here in the Ephesian church age, he says, now the tree of life is a person. He says, trees throughout the scriptures refer to persons as in Psalms 1. Thus the tree of life must be the person of life, and that is Jesus. So now in the garden of Eden, there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we find one of those trees was a tree of life. The other was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Man was to live by the tree of life, but he was not to touch of the tree or the other tree or he would die. But man did partake of that tree. And when he did, death entered the human race by sin and he became separated from God. So if the tree of life is a person, then the tree of knowledge and good and evil is also a person. And we find that the Bible will tell us in Ezekiel 28, verse 13, that thou, Satan, has been in the Eden, the garden of God. Right. Satan was there. Amen. 
So our origin starts here, and we find that the beast, we know this very well. He was close to a human. He was an upright creature, but he, had, he was pure animal. He could reason. He can talk. He was between a chimpanzee and a man, but closer to the man that his seed could mingle with the woman's seed and bring forth life. And we find that the prophet of God said that happened here in Genesis 3. Eve turned away from life, and she accepted death. So, Brother Joe, you are painting an awful picture. You're exactly right. Sin is an awful picture. There's no need to glamorize sin. There's no need to say, oh, I got it, everything, and yet you're a sinner and you're away from God. Sin separates you from God. Sin separates you from your sonship. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys life. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing glorious about sin. But I want you to know tonight, church, it's not the end of the story. God had provided better things for them. Oh, hallelujah. Notice now, Adam, our first father, he sold the human race into sin, into slavery. So Eve, notice now, Eve, she partook of it. And they asked Brother Branham in the Ephesian church age, or he claims it here, he says, now, if Eve fell that way, what did Adam do? For God lays the blame on Adam. And this is what Adam did. Adam took her back. Adam took her back. Adam took her back. She was part of him. And he was willing to take the responsibility upon himself. He would not let her go. So Eve conceived by him. He knew she would. He knew exactly what would happen to the human race. And he sold the human race into sin that he might have Eve, for he loved her. Adam, our first father, sold us into slavery. Nothing we had to do with it. And we find today that Satan and his minions and his devils and all these, they come to you every day. How many of you does Satan come and knock on your door? Well, some of y'all are really good Christians, aren't you? You don't raise your hand. You're scared to be called out. But no, we all, we face the enemy. He comes every day tempting us and trying us. And he's there to remind you that you were born a sinner. Notice, I said to remind you that you were born a sinner. Not that you are a sinner, but that you were born this way. And if he can ever keep you beat down, if he can ever keep you living below your God-given privilege, then Satan has control of your life. But I want you to know tonight, church, that's not the end of the story. God had provided a substitute. God had came himself. God come down. He condescended so that we cannot sin. Notice now, you can't help being born the way you were born. How many of you would change your first birth? Everybody, come on, raise your hand. That's when you raise your hand. We don't want, we, we didn't. We, we would rather not be born with sinful desires. I don't know about you, but I don't. I mean, I had enough of it, and we deal with it on a daily basis. We all are born in sin, shaped in iniquity. But you can't help your first birth. You absolutely have no choice in the matter. That era belongs to Adam. And since that time, there's been a great battle raging in the human mind. Because the human mind was the place. It was the battleground. It was selected because decisions have to be made. Decisions are made in the human mind. Adam made the decision to take his wife. Adam 
consciously made the decision to, to leave eternity and to push the human race into sin in an element of time so that he could take his wife back because she was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. What was Adam doing? He was showing what God was going to do through a lamb of God one day to take back sinful man and redeem him back because she was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. He wasn't willing to let her go. Oh, hallelujah, church. I don't care the dirtiest one of you tonight. He's not willing to let you go. But he loves you. And he's willing. And he's able to take that responsibility and bear it on his shoulders. But decisions are made in the mind. And that's where Satan meets you. And the decisions are. He says, because God made man that way. So Adam consciously made a choice, made a decision. And his decision is what sold man into sin. And tonight, we each have to make a decision. What are you going to get out of this service? You have to decide. Young man, you have to decide tonight. Do you fully surrender and let your life be rewritten. Or do you continue on? Young lady, do you surrender fully tonight and allow God to rewrite the narrative of your story? Or do you continue on in sin? So we find there are decisions that's got to be made. And tonight, you can make your final decision. You can make your final decision. I want to go here to Luke 15 and verse 11. Luke 15 and verse 11. Notice the battleground, the mind. Decisions have to be made. And it said that there was a man, he had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now, if you look at this right here, the son was saying, Father, I would that you would die so that I could have my inheritance now. And we go on to the story and it says, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he took his journey into a far country. He didn't just pack up and go to Dixie Inn. He didn't just pack up and go to Minden or go to the house next door. He went into a far country. What are you saying, brother? I'm telling you, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will take you farther than you expect to go. And sin will slowly but surely completely take control of every facet of your life. Sin will make the decisions that you make be dictated by its origin. Sin will control every decision you make if you let it there. And the scripture will tell us that we keep going on here. He says now. And when he had spent all that he had, there rose a great famine. Isn't that ironic? Now he's a bum. He got nothing, no more money, but yet there's a famine that rises in the land. And he began to be in want, and he went, and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. This young man made a conscious decision to go to his father and say, Father, I want my portion and what belongs to me. As if you were dead right now. I want my portion. So we can just, let's just kind of bring this to modern day. Can we do that for just a little bit? 
You know, I can just imagine this young man, someone like you young boys. How many of you are in a public school system? Man, we got no public school. We got one. We got a, we, I would just say we got a couple. How about that? Some of y'all are scared to even admit that. But say he's in a public school system and he's started hanging around the wrong boys and the wrong crowd and maybe his friends talked him into, you know, hey, won't you come hit this bait pipe? Started vaping or hitting a cigarette. You know, vaping, it don't smell. You don't get to smell all of your clothes. Or the, you know, so we don't do cigarettes. We do the vaping. And maybe they taught you into taking that first sip of alcohol. Or maybe some low-grade drug, take a hit off a marijuana joint. Or maybe look at this nudist magazine or something of that nature, some porn. And it just, you make a decision. Notice, you make a decision to look at this. And he began to esteem what his friends thought over that of his father. Oh, you could do this. You do this. You'd be cool. Man, you'd be the coolest man in, in the church. You'd be the coolest young boy at school. I mean, everybody knows your dad's loaded. He's a rich man. Won't you just go to him and ask him for all the money that he owes you or that's due to you? Go ahead and get your inheritance. And you think about just a little bit of alcohol. We can have an alcohol party every night for a long time. We can just live it up. So he makes the conscious decision to go request this from his father. But I want you to know, young person, no alcoholic ever takes that first sip desiring to be an alcoholic. No druggie ever takes that first hit with the idea that I want to be a junkie and I want my life controlled by drugs and alcohol. But we find Satan took reasoning and he takes reasoning and he attacked the word of God and he shook Eve off the path. That's right, by reasoning, human reasoning. He says, now, the only way that he or she could have to got to disbelieve God's word, it had to be appealing. And Satan knows how to make reasoning appealing. He has to appeal to you. And sin is very appealing. Satan makes sin so appealing to you. So this young man didn't think that he's going to ask for this money because he was going to have an awful time in the world. No, he thought that, man, the Lord or the devil had painted him a beautiful picture So he thought of what life was going to be like when he's out from underneath the shadows of his father. When he's out from underneath the bondage of you've got to go to church and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Oh, you're going to live it up. I mean, he had painted him a glorious picture. Look, you can have women, you can have drugs, you can have alcohol, you can do whatever you want. You're free in the world. So all he could think about was being out from under bondage. All he could think about was, I'm coming of age. I want to be my own man. He didn't ask for his portion thinking that he was going to end up in a pig pile. He didn't ask for his portion because he wanted that to be his end. He asked because sin was appealing. Because he thought he was going to live it up. That first hit, that first drag off a cigarette or a vape, that first sip of a bottle. Brother Adam tells this story, and I don't mind saying it right here, but this is in uh, the conflict between God and Satan. 
He says, I often thought as a young man, I read about different nations and morals of the country, and I heard different people tell about, especially down in France, down there in a place they called Pig Alley. He said, how that the people were so immoral. This was a, this was a very uh, risque street there in France. He says, I, he, goes, I, he goes, I'll see them people down there, women coming out, you know, reprobates and such old haggy look, you know, and, and mean and... And he goes, I went down to Pig Alley the first night, me and three other ministers. He goes, brother, what a surprise we got. Now, Satan is too smart for that. He isn't going to produce something like that. But some of the prettiest girls I've ever seen in my life was there appealing. Certainly, since sin is appealing and attractive, Satan hasn't got forked horns and some pointed, uh, pointed tail. He's not some John Bollycorn out there with a coat hanging on and his ears hanging down. He's a slicker, and sin is appealing. Sin isn't just rude like you think it is. It's very appealing. So he makes it appealing, glitter. And he finds he keeps changing the bait. Used to, you'd have to go to a store and get a magazine. Then the internet popped up and you could get it on your computer. Now if you've got a smartphone, it's easily accessible. Any degraded, debauchery, sin you want to look at. So this Bible says that this young man wasted his substance. Luke 15 and verse 30 but as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Notice, he wasted everything that he had on harlots, on riotous living. It exhausted his body. It debased his mind. It ruined his soul. It destroyed every aspect of his humanity because he was giving himself over to sin. What an ugly story I'm telling you. But I'm here to tell you tonight, that's not the end of the story, church. We find this young man, he's out of money. We find him that he's now, he doesn't have a job. We look back and we see the lights got shut off. He has no money to pay the bill. He's been evicted from his apartment. He's sleeping in a car or under a, a, a bridge somewhere. And no matter how bad his life has gotten, he's yet made the decision to turn home. Instead of turning home, he goes and joins himself with a citizen in the land. And begins to feed swine. And if you know anything about the Jewish culture, pigs are detested. They're unclean. Not only did he go and feed swine, but he began to long for the food in which he was feeding them. We can say this young man hit rock bottom. There was nowhere else for him to turn but home, and he refused to turn home. See, he had to make a decision. Instead of turning home, he went farther and farther into sin. And it took him farther and farther into a reprobate life until he wound up in a pig slop feeding pigs. And no doubt, all the reports that the father received was, your son just did this, your son's doing this, your son's doing this, and doing this, and doing this. And your heart breaks and breaks and breaks. And breaks. Because instead of turning to the Lord, instead of turning to the Father, he turns further to the world. 
But that's not the end of the story. You here tonight that's got a loved one. Some of you that got sons and daughters out there that are wayward and running, husband and spouses. I want you to know tonight, it's not the end of the story. Oh, I'm telling you, if I was you tonight, I'd be clinging to this. It's not the end of the story. Brother Joe, I just got a report. He did this and she did that and they're in drugs. It doesn't matter. This young man had went all the way from, oh, he was a wealthy son, a son of a wealthy father, and now he's living in a pig stop. he got no money. He's got no rest. He's got no home. He's got nothing. But I'm here to tell you tonight, it wasn't the end of his story. God was just about to come and shake him. Let me tell you, church, God is here tonight to shake our young people, to shake our prodigals, to shake those that are wayward and running from the Lord. He's here to do the shaking. It's not the end. Don't you think it's the end? God allowed the sinner to come. You want that in a, in a quote. Why did he ever let the sinner come. Why did God ever let a sinner come? He had to let a sinner come for the purpose of him being a savior. God had an attribute. He's going to not only be a father, but he's going to be a savior. So notice, so God could be a savior. He let the man get sick because he's a healer. He's just, he has to be just and he has to put the tree of life and the tree of death before every man like he did Adam and Eve or he did wrong in the first place. So before you tonight is the tree of life. And before you tonight is the tree of death. Knowledge of good and evil. You can choose to smoke your vape, smoke your cigarettes, look at your pornography, take a hit off the bottle, drugs, whatever you want. Or you can choose the tree of life. The only way back... From the death sentence is to partake of the tree of life. Amen. The tree of knowledge is going to take you further and further and further and further. We find here now Luke 15, verse 17. And when he came to himself, what parent is longing for that day? Amen. Sister Doretha, Brother Johnny, longing. For when they come, Shea, Malika, Jairus, come to themselves. Oh, we got prodigals, church. But we got a promise that's bigger than our prodigals. Did you hear what I said? We got prodigals. It's evident. Nathan's been running, but we got a promise. No matter how far he can run, we got a promise that he'll leave the 90 and 9 and he'll save that lost wayfaring lamb. He'll go after that one. If he'll cross the raging seas for some maniac on the other side that reached up in a moment and said, oh, God, save me. And yet he was cutting himself and living in the tomb. God didn't let that be the end of his story. No, he sent the word there, and the word released him from the bondage that he was in. And I'm going to tell you tonight, that same word will be released upon you and your young people and your sons and your daughters, if you can believe it. That's a promise we need to hold on to. Notice now, he came to himself and he said, How many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough to spare? 
and I perish with hunger. Now this word or this phrase here he came to himself means that he was deranged. He was insane. And any man that's away from God is insane. You may think you're intelligent. You're just an intelligent insanity. You may think you're super smart. You're super smart and stupid at the same time. Because you're deranged. You're insane. But notice now. John 6 and verse 44 would say, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. So no man can come to me except the Father. Go and shake him. And Brother Tim brought this out, not knowing that I already had it in my notes. The angel of the Lord visited that foul, infested pig slop. He went to that house where that daughter or that son was living with somebody else outside of marriage. He went into that bar room. Let me just tell you personally like he did for me. He came in my car on a night that I didn't want to live. When a night that I thought it was the end of my story. Oh, but the angel of the Lord, and it's one of the only times he ever, I've ever heard an audible voice in all of my life. And it said, turn your car around. Now, I didn't have a Christian upbringing. I didn't understand what was going on. All I knew is I heard the voice and I turned around. So the angel of the Lord visited me in my moment of despair. He visited me when I was drunk and I wanted to take my life. But he didn't leave me where he found me. Oh, hallelujah. He came my way and turned my life around. And he came to this pig infested pig slop. And he shook that boy. You've been running long enough. You've been wayward long enough. You've been away from home long enough. You've been away from the Father long enough. Arise and go to the Father's house. Arise and go to the Father's house. It's time that you arise. And he says, I will arise. Verse 18, I will arise. And I'll go to my Father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worried to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose. And he came to his father. But when he was yet. A great way off. His father saw him. Because his father was holding on to a promise. Oh his father. Was holding on to a promise. I gave you to God. At the altar. I'm going to hold on to that promise that they and their offspring will be there. I'm going to hold on to it. That is for you, for your children, even for your children's children. To them that are far off in a far country. It's for them too. Notice now. When he was a great distance off, his father saw him. When he had compassion and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found 
and they begin to be married. So we find here that this father began to run to his son. Now, in this custom in the ancient Near East, this, culture, this, this right here was frowned upon. It was considered taboo because the father would have to pull up his tunic up to his hips, expose his legs, and this was embarrassing. It brought shame to the family, but yet the father didn't care because it was his son that he was running to. Let me tell you, our father doesn't care what he has to do. He doesn't mind pulling up the tunic and running to you. Whatever it takes, he's ready. Whatever it takes, if that son begins to come home, he's there to run to him. He's there to embrace him. He's there to show them love and support and a welcoming back to the family. Notice he didn't go and scold his son. How dare you? No. He didn't scold him, but he gave him a lavish welcome party. Notice what he said. Go get a robe. We're going to change these old pig slop robes or tattered clothes smelling like pig manure. We're going to change your robe to change his dignity. And God traded your old sinful robes. You were born in sin, but he said, I'm giving you new robes. I'm giving you new clothing because you can't get there with these clothes on. It's so bags of filth. Notice he put a ring on his son's finger. And in that day, rings, wearing rings during this time of history was a sign of both wealth and position. So the father here was reflecting his desire to restore his son as a family member. Amen. Oh, church. Aren't you waiting for the father to restore that son as a family member, as a decent person in the community? Oh, in the family of God, God is here to restore. God is waiting to restore. And not only that, but he put sandals on his feet. So he says, I want you, son, to walk with me. You can walk with me without any fear. You can walk with me without any worry about being contaminated by the things of this world. I want you to walk with me. And the last that he did was he slayed the fatted calf. No longer would his son settle for the, the slop of the pigs, but now he would dine on the best meat available. Oh, church, what is this story telling us tonight? That this is a fatted calf. This is a robe of righteousness. This is a ring of wealth and position. The Bible would tell, the prophet of God would tell us, he placed upon our hand, our finger, that wedding ring of predestinated, unmerited grace. What a position we are in. What a place that we are in tonight to know that when the enemy would come in, God raises up a standard. When enemies tore your life down and, and rubbed you through the muck of the world, God is here to restore you. I think about Sister Trish and Brother George, and I'll, forgive me if this offends you, but I just think about the first time I met Brother George. I'm like, there ain't no hope for that man. And sometimes we got loved ones. We feel the same way. There's no way. There's nothing. Nobody can save that man. Look at him. He's low down, dirty, rotten. Not you, Brother George, but that, that person out there in sin. Oh, he's in drugs and his teeth are all messed up and his hair is all messed up and he's disheveled. He ain't got a home. He ain't got a car. He ain't got nothing. All he's got is a ragged old wife and a ragged old kids and he's running them through the mud trying to make a living and his living ain't going to do nothing because he's bound by drugs. 
drugs and bound by alcohol and bound by sexes and bound by this and bound by that. Oh, let me tell you, though, it's not the end of the story. God can take that same man and clean him up and put a robe on him and put a ring on wedding ring of predestinated unmerited grace on him and make him a deacon and clean him up and make him a real son of God. It's not the end of the story. Now, Satan wants you to think that. No matter how far God has to go, he will go. So it's not the end of the story. What's, how can it be, Brother Joe? Nobody's, nobody cares. It's not the end. Excuse me. It's not the end of the story. God has the final say. Brother George, God had the final say. Sister Trish, God had the final say. We look at those, some of our loved ones, and we wonder why are they making these choices? Why are they doing this? Don't they realize who they're hurting? Maybe, just maybe, it's not the end of their story. Amen. See, God's not so much concerned about all the in-between. He's worried about the end. Amen. See, the difference between us and God, he knows the end. And he can sit back and he can look. Oh, yeah. There's, going, there's coming a day I'm going to make my visitation. Because no man can come unless the father draws. Amen. I'm going to go and I'm going to shake that prodigal son. I'm going to go and I'm going to shake that prodigal daughter. You say, can God go to where they are? Absolutely. If he can go to a pigsty, surely he can go to his address. Surely he can... Go to his job. Surely. Maybe in a car. Maybe in the moments he's thinking about suicide. Surely it's not the end of the story. Amen. So we find here, what a sad story though. But God said it's not over. I got the final say. And we go back and we look at Adam and Eve. And we find here that Adam and Eve, because they sinned, now they were being evicted from the Garden of Eden. Eve looking over at her husband, Adam, crying, tears in her eyes. I'm sorry, honey. I did all this. I should have not listened to the lie of the serpent, and I did this. And I, I'm sorry, honey. I brought you this shame and this, this embarrassment, and I didn't know what it was going to do. And Adam's embracing his nice, beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed wife, and they're both crying. And, you know, and Adam, with his strong body, calmly leaned over on their bosom, their tears mingling, falling, and running on the sheepskin and blood dripping down. But we find God told him, he says, now you partook of that tree. And I told you don't Now you got to depart from my presence And not only were they crying But God looked down And God looked down with infamy God looked down with sympathy And God more importantly looked down with love And he says that's not it Just hold up a minute I'm going to put enmity between thy seed and the seed of the serpent. What was God foreshadowing? That it's not over. It's not the end of the story. You may be leaving the garden, but God was declaring, I'm going to make a way that sinful man can come back in the presence of a living God. Oh, you're being pushed out because you took of the tree of knowledge, but I'm going to make a way. I'm going to provide a lamb where you can partake of the tree of life, and you'll never be from my presence again. 
oh, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the serpent. So what did God do? He accepted the substitute of man in the Garden of Eden. And that was the only way was a blood sacrifice. Blood had to pay the price. And it's still the price today. You're not going to get in on your merits. You're not going to get in on your family genetics. You're not going to get in on who's who, who you belong to. It's only through the blood. Only through the blood. Let me skip down. But you know, the enemy's there. Go just a little bit longer tonight if you don't mind. The enemy's there always making accusations. Accusing you of failures. Accusing you. And rightly, the accusations, for the most part, are everyone true. Because you were born a sinner. But he doesn't know that God's got another plan for your life. So we find here in John 8, if you go to John 8, verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple and the people came unto him, and he sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. She's a dirty woman. We caught her red-handed. What were you doing looking? Caught her red-handed. But not only was it she should have been stoned, he should have been stoned with her. But they only brought the female. Because that's how Satan does it. Because he's, he's talked you into doing these things, but he's only accusing you. So we find here that they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and he rode on the ground as though he heard them not. And when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and he said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Notice he wrote twice. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went one by one bringing in the eldest even unto the last. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted himself up himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, woman... Where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? Verse 11. She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So they brought accusations against this woman of adultery. And she was caught in the very act. And she should have been stoned. But Jesus stooped to the ground. And I can just imagine the first time he stooped, he wrote, it's not the end of your story. Amen. Let he without sin cast the first stone. Amen. Stoop back down and he wrote pardon. Because he knew one moment in his presence is all it takes. Amen. You may have walked in an adulterer or an adulteress, but you're going to walk out free. Amen. See, Satan wants you to think that it's the end of the story. All these accusations come against you. 
And he is the accuser of the brethren. And he's here to cover your life with skin or sin, excuse me, and scar and deface your life with drugs and alcohol and sex sins and failed marriages and failed relationships and bad business decisions. And if he can't get you there, he begins to fill your mind with fear and nervousness and complexes and anxieties and depression and suicidal thoughts. Anything that he can do to keep you a slave to your first birth. But I want you to know tonight, it's not the end, little bride, of the story. Oh, I'm going to tell you, where is thy accuser, little bride? Oh, the Bible will tell us that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. Oh, little bride, you may have done those things, but in the beginning, you've never done it in the first place. Because in the beginning was in the mind of God. And God saw you perfect. God saw you sinless. God saw you pure. God saw you the virtuous bride of Jesus Christ. He didn't see you in dirty old slop, big clothes. He saw you as his beloved wife. He saw you. As his beloved wife. Now notice, the devil's there to accuse, but Jesus is there to intercede. He came to redeem the elected that he foresaw. And Satan is there. Well, I got Adam to do this. And I got his wife to do this. And they're guilty. But the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is there to say, no, they're not. Because in the beginning, I saw them. I knew them. They were bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I knew what they would be. And though they come down this way, it's not the end of the story. But you know, Satan... Or try to make you think you crossed the line. He tries to make you think everything's wrong with you. Brother Bantam has this young lady before. He says, you're nervous, aren't you, sister? You can't hold it together. Sometimes, sometimes you think you're almost going to take your life. You wonder what's going to happen. And in your religious experience and so forth, you've never been satisfied just exactly. You've always wondered. That's right. Is it true? And you wanted a closer walk with him. And then sometimes Satan has told you recently, when you were in the room by yourself, you've crossed the line. He goes, I'm not reading your mind, but that's true, isn't it? He lied to you, sister. You're healed right now. And if you can believe the promise of God over the lie of the enemy, you can be healed right now. It may not be a physical healing that you need, but it may be a mental healing. Well, you quit listening to the lie of depression and the lies of fear and the lies of nervousness and anxieties and complexes, and you take God at his word. Oh, church. They asked Brother Branham, and Brother Branham says, but God sent down from heaven a bleach for sin. It was the blood of his son, and when our confessed sins drops into into God's bleach, try to find it again. That's all you got to do tonight, sinner friend. All you got to do is commit that thing to God and put it in the bleach of the blood of the word of God, and you'll never find another trace of that sin. God completely changed every desire for the things of this world. He's got a bleach, and what does bleach do? What does bleach do? Excuse me. It dissociates. There's a power inside that bleach that calls dissociation. And when you get inside that blood and that blood comes all upon you, I'm going to tell you, it'll disassociate you from the life of sin. It'll take drugs out of your life. It'll take pornography out of your life. It'll take cigarettes out of your life. It'll take the desires of the world out of your life. I say, pour the bleach on tonight, God. What happens to a son? He becomes in perfect fellowship with the father. 
standing on the other side of the chasm with no more remembrance of sin against him. There's no more stain of bleach can be seen anywhere. He is free. You want to talk about a new story. See, all you can think about is what you were. All he can think about is what you are. Oh, my. What a trade. And if we can ever start thinking his thoughts, if we can ever see ourselves the way he sees us, oh, you won't come in beat down. You won't come in all nervous. You won't come in all depressed. No, you start thinking how God thinks about you. God provided a blood. The accuser of the brethren has been cast down. We no longer belong to the devil. We no longer belong to the bondage of drugs and alcohol and sin. Satan's may have tried to oppress you, beat you down, lie to you, attack you. But tonight, you are God's free man. Tonight, we are sons and daughters of God. Let me go just a few more minutes. Try to find a stopping place. John, 1 John 3 and verse 1. 1 John 3 and verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now. I said, Beloved, now. At 825 on March the 10th, now. We are the sons of God. And it do not yet appear what we shall be because sometimes the only thing we can see is our failures and our mistakes. But I'm trying to transition your mind from looking at your failures and looking at your mistakes and begin to look at you the way God sees you as my son, as my daughter. Oh, let me tell you, church, now we are the sons of God. Oh, what has the God, what has he done? He has bestowed upon us his love. He's bestowed upon us his title of sonship. What has God or what has Satan bestowed upon you? Nothing but hardships, nothing but heartaches, nothing but loneliness, nothing but fears, nothing but depression, nothing but worry and guilt and regret. And he's called you dirty, riding low down, good for nothing. But God has called you son. He's called your son tonight. It's not the end of your story. You're not some dirty, low down, nothing. You're sons of God. God has come and he's changed the devil's plans about you. He's done wrote a new narrative. Oh, we've been reconciled. Colossians 1 and verse 19. For it pleased the Father. That in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through God or through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you. And you. And you. Come on, church. And you. And you were sometimes alienated. And enemies where? In the battleground. Because you were thinking like the devil. He was thinking like a slave. He was thinking like a born sinner who was born in this world, shaped in iniquity. And you sometimes were alienated. Enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled you. Do you know what reconciliation means? It means I'm an accountant. So we do reconciliation all day, every day. Things have to tie out to the very minute penny. So you got a number over here. And it may be X, Y, Z. And over here is what makes up X, Y, Z. If this over here doesn't equal this, we don't reconcile. 
So what did God say? I'm going to reconcile my lost sons and my lost daughters. So he provided a blood. He provided a bleach. And now that son can come underneath that blood and be reconciled. You who were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now he has reconciled you. Now he's declared you sons and daughters as though you never sinned in the first place. Oh, hallelujah. You needed a lamb, and he provided you a lamb. You needed a substitute, and what a substitute he provided. But we find, now as I bring this down, down to a close, in the beginning was the word, the Logos. And the word was God. And the word was with God. And in verse 14, that same word became flesh because he knew what it would take to redeem your sinful soul. He knew the cost, and he counted it, because like Adam, he loved this Eve. But unlike that Eve, this Eve's not going to fall. She's going to stay true. She's going to stay virtuous. The Bible would tell us in 1 John 3 and verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doeth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Amen. Renewed in the mind. Right. Revelations 2 and verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. They were pushed out in the beginning. Couldn't partake of the tree of life. And now in the end time, now in the last age, you say, brother, this is the Ephesian age, but every reward of every previous age, that last age receives all that blessing. Right. And so we find here those that overcome in Laodicea get to partake of the tree of life. Amen. And that's why we now have the Holy Ghost, the tree of life. Yes. And there's no more separation from us and God. Oh, we looked at the beginning. It was a sad story. But the story's not over. We find here, Brother Brandon would tell us, he says, what a thrilling thought this is, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, which could not be approached until, until because of the fall of Adam, is now given to the overcomer. Amen. Now, the tree of life is given to you in this last age. So we find now... These sons of God who by him overcome are giving the privilege of the paradise of God and in constant fellowship with Jesus. See, Satan, Satan wants you to think there's no way of escape. He's got man corrupted. He's got politics corrupted. He's got governments corrupted. He's got the worlds corrupted. He's lied to you. He's made you feel like healing is beyond you. Holy Ghost is not for you. You can't live above sin. You've got to remain as you are. There's no hope. He tells you there's no hope for you. There's no hope for you. See, Satan, when you were born, he took a pen out and he began to write. All your failures. Wrote them down. Accusing you before God. They did this. And Andrew Tuster did this. Little skateboard punk. He did this. And he was hiding it from his mom and his dad. Drinking booze behind their back. Skateboard. Running with the wrong friend. I got it all written down right here. He took a pen and began to chart out things that you had done by the sinful nature. 
Oh, and he began to write your story. And, you know, he knew a little bit about it because he's the one that's talking you into it. And you begin to look at this and you begin to look at that and you begin to do this. And he's there just writing it all down and writing it all down. But one day, God snatched the pen away from the enemy. And I believe God not only did it, but he brought it down through a prophet in a Pergamum church age. He says, one night I was seeking the Lord and the Holy Spirit told me to, to pick up my pen and write. Amen. Sometimes we think this is all it is, this life, this is all it is. All these things that you wrote down, devil, that's me, yeah, that's me, and that's me. I did this, and I did that, and I did that. But God took the pen away from your accuser. He took it away from your enemy, and this is what God is saying about you right now. He says, in these last days, the true bride church, Christ seed, will come to the headstone. She will be a super church, a super race as she nears him. They and the bride will be so much like him till they will be in his very image. This is in order to be united with him. This will be, or they will be one. They will be the very manifestation of the living God from this little group of true seed of God. God will present Christ with the beloved bride. She is a virgin of his word. She is a virgin because she know no man's creeds or dogmas. And by and through the members will the, this bride will be fulfilled. All that was promised of God to be manifest in a virgin. Satan wrote about your shame, but God has wrote about your translation. God has wrote about you in a rapture. He's wrote about you in a body change, and he's called you the sinless, pure, sinless, virtuous bride of Jesus Christ. Satan's called you low down, dirty sinner, but God has taken the pen away, and he's changed the narrative. You're not what the devil says you are. You're sons and daughters of God. You're children of God. You've been redeemed of God. Musicians come. He said there would be a time to come forth when he would express himself in the fullness of the Godhead. Did he through his church? Had the preeminence in his church. Oh my, what? The anointed man. But now, the anointed people. Amen. Now the anointed people. Oh my, to bring back the anointed bride and bridegroom. Anointed, why? Accepting what Eve turned down. And Adam coming back with his anointing of the word. Notice now, what Eve turned down was life. And what you're being presented is life, the tree of life. It's not. Justin, it wasn't the end of your story. When Satan says, oh, you're going to just be out there, a little rock and roll punk, running away from the church and running away from the family and doing God knows what. But one night, on a Wednesday night, he took the pen away from your enemy and began to write you a new narrative. Yeah. For the Philip, running from the Lord for a long time, he looked up at a water tower and came to yourself. Derangement left. Delusion left. Why? Because you begin to see yourself as God sees you. You're not bound by depression. That's a lie of the enemy. You ain't crossed the line. That's a lie of the enemy. You don't have to live with nervousness. That's a lie of the enemy. You don't have to be bound by fears. You don't have to be bound by the, uh, the vices of this world. Young person, you don't have to be bound by pornography and pornography spirits. No, those are lies. 
of the enemy that pertain to your first birth. But the prophet of God would say, that first marriage has been annulled because you have died out. You're no longer what you used to be. See, instead of refusing the word, we accept it. And the bridegroom came and took away our shame, and now we stand justified. Just as though we'd never done it in the first place. He says, you talk about a thanksgiving. He goes, I, I feel real good. I'm more thankful for that than anything I know. And this is what the prophet of God is telling you, or what God is telling you through a prophetic voice. You are the pure, virtuous, sinless bride of the Son of the living God. So when your enemy, you meet him tomorrow and he comes and tells you, well, you this and you did this and I caught you in the act. You come back and say, I'm the sinless. I'm the pure. I'm the virtuous pride of the living God. You young people are going to a, a youth camp tomorrow. The devil's going to fight you every stretch because he doesn't want to lose his grip off your life. And he's going to come and maybe you get into a service and you feel the anointing and yet he keeps you in your seat. You remind him who you are. I am the pure, sinless, virtuous bride of Jesus Christ. I don't have to be bound by the cares of this life. I don't have to be bound by pornography. I don't have to be bound by cigarettes. I don't have to be bound by alcohol. I don't have to be bound by drugs. I can be bound in the chains of love, loving my Lord Jesus. Standing completely. You never sin in the first place. Oh, look at the narrative he is writing out about this bride. You never sinned in the first place. It's in a sea of forgiveness. You never did it. You were accused of it by the brethren, but really from the beginning, you were the predestinated to be a son and daughter of God. You're standing there washed. Your old book of divorcement is put away. It's dead, absolutely out of the existence, even in the mind of God. You're the virtuous bride of Christ, washed in the blood of Christ. Your first wedding was annulled. Notice, you never done it in the first place. And we've seen the preview of the bride. First bride walked out as I bring it to a close. Brother Bram says she was beautiful, elegant. Oh my, what a beautiful bride she was. And she was clean, sweetest looking people I've ever seen. She passed by sweetly with an air. And the angel of the Lord said, that's the bride. That's her. Then he says, I'm going to show you the church. See, sometimes we get hung up with seeing the church. Sometimes we get hung up, young people, with seeing the church. And the church came in dancing the rock and roll, boogie-woogie music. Oh, worldly dress. Or actually didn't have much dress on, to be honest with you. Brother Brown would say she was filthy looking. And they were marching in time to twist a rock and roll and had a little gray paper holding in front of them like a lace hula skirt. Completely new from the waist up and was marching and twisting and carrying on in the backside completely nude. And he said, that's the church. And Brother Branham began to be dis disappointed. Is that all, all my efforts, all of our efforts 
That's all it's produced is that. He said, now, it's not the end of the story. I can just imagine him telling his prophet, it's not the end of the story. The bride's going to come in preview one more time. And here she come. Brother Bam says she was exactly the way that first bride was. Beautiful, elegant, walked with an air, holiness, dressed herself modest, conducted herself as a real believer. Even in Laodicea, when they're stripped down to nothing, she displayed character. See, the first bride and the second bride are exactly the same character. The alpha is now the omega. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story, church. Oh, Satan may have been writing your final plan, so he thought. But God is writing your new beginnings. Not one that's talking about the sins you've done, the heartaches you've felt, the pains and disappointments you went through. But he's telling you, you are the invincible army. You are that sinless bride. You're not the church, but you've seen in a vision. He's writing in the narrative of a body change. He's writing your place in at the wedding supper of the Lamb. He's got your place there. Nobody else can occupy it. He's writing you into an eternal reign. See, it's not the end of our story. It's only the beginning. God bless you. Let's just stand and worship the Lord tonight. It's not the end of the story. It's only the beginning. If you're here tonight, maybe you need a new beginning. Maybe the Lord maybe spoke to a young person tonight and says, you know what? I'm like that prodigal. I'm going the wrong way. But you don't have to. Maybe that sweet angel come by your way. Shake you. You've been running way too long. Well, I'm only 12 years old, Brother Joe. I'm just now entering into what we would call a teenager. And maybe you are confused and you're fighting to find your place in this life. Well, your place starts at this altar well you can have a new beginning aren't you tired of the accusations aren't you tired of the lies aren't you tired of the disappointments aren't you tired of being bound by fears depression, anxieties, worries, regrets you can find your new beginning tonight some of you are going to a youth camp you can find your new beginnings tonight and you can take that change with you and not only take it with you but you can impart that change to others you can say, yeah, I met God on Wednesday night before Thursday camp night. I met God. And it wasn't the end of my story. He's writing a new beginning. Brother Tim, lead us in song. If you need prayer, we're here. He's here, more importantly, to change you tonight.
Right now. 